adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Adversary Universe podcast. I am your co-host, Christian Rodriguez. I'm the field CTO of the Americas. And today, really excited to have a fantastic guest, also a friend, known him for a very long time here at CrowdStrike. And he has agreed to join us for an episode that is actually a question that comes up in a lot of my conversations with prospective clients and anyone that is even just new to building out a cyber program or looking for a method to mature their cyber program, the question usually comes up, have I been breached or how do I know if I've been breached? And so today, my guest, James Perry, joins me. James, thank you so much. You know, James, I know you've been here for quite some time. If you don't mind, maybe sharing a little background on your current role and title and some of the things that you've been doing here at CrowdStrike, I know you're very much in our services arm of our company, and I figured I would do this in injustice of explaining. Great, and, and thanks for having me on, Christian. And as Christian said, my name is James Perry. I'm the Senior Director of Consulting Services. So what does that mean? So I oversee our group of individuals worldwide that perform cybersecurity consulting services. Here at CrowdStrike, we really focus on kind of four particular things. Reactive services, you've been breached, you call our hotline, you call your account rep and say, I have a major issue, I need help. Our team virtually parachutes in and helps you. And we'll talk a lot about it today. But, you know, two of the other really important practices that, that I oversee are our uh, technical advisory services and our strategic advisory services. Our technical advisory services test both your ability to respond to a breach and the security of your organization through technical means. So think of our red team exercises. One of our most popular services is our adversary emulation, where our team acts as an attacker, whether that's a nation state, you know, I mean, you think, our, think of our bears and our pandas, or as a ransomware actor, our spiders. And, and they, they work to attack your organization and see how your team responds. And then another important organization that we have is our strategic advisory services. And so they're focused on from a governance, from a process, a procedure, from an organizational perspective, is your organization prepared to respond to a breach? They do hundreds of tabletop exercises a year, which are a very important way to understand, is your organization ready if you're breached? The most important outcome of a tabletop exercise, in my opinion, is understanding who the players are during an IR. Who makes the decisions? Who do you have to inform? Who do you have to actually do the technical work during an investigation? So those are the three kind of primary you know, activities that we do. And we really focus on pre-breach. Are you prepared? Responding so you have an incident. And then working with our team to fortify your organization to make sure that you are ready and that you have the right technical administration and governance controls um, in your organization for what, what really is an ever-changing threat landscape. Yeah, I was, I was on stage at an event in Miami explaining the concept of a tabletop exercise and why it's so important to involve all of your members. And I basically used the analogy of, there's an episode of The Office where, <laughs> where Dwight Schrute, the, the character who plays Dwight Schrute, 
uh, basically emulates a fire in the office and he basically has like this fog machine and just smoke everywhere and he locks doors and he like lights certain handles on fire and there are people jumping to the ceiling and jumping out windows and it's just like pure chaos ensues basically for the better part of about five minutes or so. And I, I basically said, hey, you know, a tabletop exercise should ultimately help you get an understanding on how is your organization going to respond to some, something big happening, like incident-wise. And if it's basically anything near that scene, then you need to start you know, maturing your program just a little more, right? Uh, if people are panicking. And so I'm sure you've seen it all. And in the theme of the have I been breached question, right? What could you share on warning signs, right? That should alert someone to launching an investigation, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple ways in which organizations find out they've been breached. I think, unfortunately, nowadays, the number one way in which organizations find out they've been breached is their systems become encrypted. Sure. You know, they go into work and someone gets an alert that our ESXi cluster is down mm. or, you know, no users can access their desktops or servers in this enclave aren't working. And and that's the worst type of discovery that you can make, you know, once an actor has already achieved their objectives. Other, other warning signs are alerts from your security tooling. Too often do organizations receive alerts and they do not respond to them, or they believe it's a false positive mm. or normal business activity, um, or it takes them too long to respond. During an investigation, we go back and see, yes, you know, three months ago, you did have alerts for, you know, malware on your endpoints. and you didn't do anything. Eventually, you know, your legacy AV caught up and cleaned it up, um, but it was too late at that point. The mm -hmm. adversary had used the, that access to gain, you know, legitimate credentials that they later accessed the environment with. And then, you know, another warning sign is uh, someone from, you know, the, the government or from law enforcement knocks on your door, mm -hmm. sends you an email or calls you. Those are very important things to take seriously. If uh, the likes of CISA or the FBI or, you know, others at DHS are reaching out to your organization and saying, hey, you may have a compromise. You really need to investigate that. You need to either engage your internal team or more importantly, engage an external team that has the expertise and experience uh, to respond to those types of alerts. But you, you run across organizations all the time though that, I mean, there's a reason why they're coming to us or any other organizations that they hire that has an incident response program. You know, they're, they're, they're coming to us because, you know, the breach has occurred or there's something that has flagged their, their attention. But how much of that time frame that's passed between them reaching out and the actual point of the breach, right? How much of that is attributed to the fact that they just uh, are severely understaffed? Or more importantly, they may have this, the staffing quantity, but in terms of the skill set to understand the nature of the, tra and the tradecraft of the adversary is just completely missing. Yeah, I, I'd say a majority of the time yeah. it's understaffing. Okay. Um, you know, they're operating nine by five or nine by seven, or they don't have a 24 hour ability to respond to alerts from their security tooling. Yeah. And then the skill to make sure they've actually cleaned up and done everything they need to do to get back to business, to get back to where they were. Um, everything from, you know, removing the malware from the system, resetting the accounts, removing the sessions that actors may have created for themselves. Having that knowledge and ability to understand this is what this actor does is why I would say it's very important to make sure you have a skilled team that sees this, not just in your organization, hundreds or thousands of other places, because they've probably seen it before. Yeah. We have a saying in our business that this is likely the client's worst day when they have to call us. And for us, it's our everyday. Mm. We see this every day, day in and day out. We have the ability to respond quicker because a lot of times we 
to predict what the actor did. Um, we'll still perform a full investigation, but we know where to start looking because we probably saw it somewhere else the day before or even that same day. Sure. So the this podcast is being developed under this theme of the adversary universe, and Ed and Myers and myself have been spending a lot of time walking through the different motivations of the adversaries we track and the major categories of e-crime, you know, nation state and hacktivist groups. And Adam really emphasizes the concept of knowing your adversary first and foremost, and then building your programs and response programs around that. And so it's interesting to now take that sentiment and contrast it with what your team is seeing, right? You're saying you see this every day and to the point where you can almost predict what the adversary has done without even launching the forensic tools or Falcon or any of the other IP tooling that you guys have built, your team has built. How much of that, you know, predictive view, right, outside of the repetition is also attributed to having that intelligence backing from our side? I mean, I think a lot of it's attributed to our intelligence backing. We've really seen a shift in, you know, a little over a year. Last year, last spring, we saw a large number of attacks from the Conti group. Mm. We all know now due to the Conti leaks and our intelligence reporting on it, that they had very defined playbooks of what they would do. You know, these are enterprises that operate at scale, just like we do. They had processes and procedures um, that people, um, the threat actors that followed with the Conti leaks that kind of changed that game because now we knew not just from our own intelligence and response efforts, their tactics, tools, and procedures. We knew it from their own documentation sure. um, that, that was released. And what we've seen is a change in the groups, in the e-crime groups. They're much more fragmented. While they're, yes, there's still large groups that perform you know, activities. We've seen the rise in ransomware as a service and a large increase in the amount of access broker publications over the last year, which has reduced our ability to say, we know exactly what this actor is going to do. Mm. Because we don't necessarily know at the start of an investigation who the actor is. You can't say just because they use this ransomware or this backdoor or this persistence mechanism that it's this actor. Because many different actors use many different types of ransomware for many different services. They tend to change, you know, what ransomware they're using. They'll go to a different service and they'll hop around. So that's made intelligence reporting much more important to what we're doing to get an understanding of not just the ransomware families, whether it's Lockbit or or whatever else we may be seeing these days, Play Ransomware, Royal Ransomware. We have to understand those subgroups sure. that are actually using the ransomware. And that's really where our, our partnership with Adam Myers and his intelligence team comes into play. They are involved, highly involved in every single one of our incident response investigations. So they're helping us understand what this actor may have done, what new infrastructure may they have. And then we're feeding that information back to them to help protect our customers. Yeah. Here's what we see today from this ransomware actor. Here's the, you know, the tactical IOCs, the domains, the IPs, the hashes. But more importantly, here's the tactics that they're using. Nice. Um, here's the IOAs that they're hitting within Falcon yeah. so that we can help understand and feed that information back to our Intel and our Overwatch teams to help them counter the adversary across every single one of our customers. No, that's fantastic. And for our listeners not familiar with the acronym IOA, it means an indicator of attack, which is basically a behavioral model that we build into our technology. And if you're interested in that, feel free to check it out on our website, indicators of attack on CrowdStrike.com. You know, you said something interesting about ransomware and you opened up with this statement when it comes to 
when does a company reach out to say, hey, we've been breached? And usually it's that ransomware message and there's some type of system or multiple systems that are encrypted. And again, kind of worst day of your life experience. But an interesting topic that's come up is the amount of extortion campaigns that actually have become a lot more prevalent, right? Not to say that there are no ransomware campaigns still going. We did see a bit of a reduction in ransomware campaigns based on statistics in the global threat report. But what does that type of engagement look like when your team is then called in because they're now being threatened by an adversary that, hey, we have your data, right? I don't need to encrypt it. Or the concept of encryption is almost irrelevant because the data is mine and we're going to start leaking it. So what does that response program look like? Yeah. And I'll, I'll take a step back and start with what does the response look like when you know someone gets an alert that they may have what we call pre-ransomware activity. Sure, yeah. But some bad actor in their network. And really what we've had to do, you know, we've had to change in the last year is how we respond to that. Because there's now two objectives. There is keep the environment from getting encrypted, mm-hmm. but also stop the data theft. Got it. Stop them from being able to get the data and steal it because that is typically objective number one these days is data theft. And the ransomware is, is kind of secondary. Some cases we don't see it. Some cases we see it on a small enough part of the network to get attention. They want you to know that they stole their data. So they, they encrypt a small subset of systems. And then more increasingly, what we're seeing is them attack the hypervisor level mm. of the environment and encrypting your systems at the hypervisor level. And so instead of pushing ransomware out to all of your workstations, they push it out to the hypervisors, which we have, uh, you know, kind of specialized response and to be able to protect those hypervisors and applying security best practices to those technologies because many of them can't support the EDR because they're, they're proprietary operating systems. But to step back and say, okay, you're an organization and you're, C- you're, you're the CISO of an organization, your CEO just forwarded you an email that's from a ransomware actor and they say, we have all your data, please pay us. Hmm. Well, what do you do as a company? Like, what do, what do you do from there? You probably don't have many alerts. You may not have anything in your, in your SIM or in your, uh, you know, legacy AV that says, hey, a ransomware actor was here because primarily at that point, they're operating using identities, typically coming through a VPN that's not protected by two-factor. And then they're using commercial off-the-self tooling um, or open source tooling to steal that data. They're using things like our clone or simply uploading them to Dropbox or you know, one of those technologies to steal that data. So that's where you really need to involve a third-party provider. Because once data has been stolen, or really even before data is stolen, the IR is no longer just a technical exercise. Yep, exactly. It is, it is a full-scope crisis for your organization that in most places is directed by outside counsel. Mm. So you need to call your IR provider, you need to call your lawyer, and, and likely you need to call your insurance company. Because a lot of times the biggest cost of a breach is not the response itself, it's the notifications to individuals whose data may have been affected. Mm. But you need to look far and wide. See, way too often that we're brought in where an organization got one of those ransom emails, those extortion emails, and they engaged and they got a list of files that are taken and they found, you know, hey, they may have been taken from over here. But you should know that if you get one of those extortion emails, the actor's probably still in your network. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. why, why would they have gone away? Like, why would they have removed their malware? Why would they have got rid of the accounts that they used to get in and steal that data? they're still there. That may not be the end of what they do. So you need to engage and kick off a full-scale incident response. You need to get visibility on your endpoints. You need to get visibility into your cloud. You need to get visibility into your identities and make sure that you really contain whatever access that actor has because they may come back and deploy ransomware. They may steal more data. And 
they may monitor your communications. If they're still in your environment, sure, they may get into your team's chats, jump into your shared documents and follow along with the instant response. If you only are focused on what do you do about the data that was stolen? You need to focus on a comprehensive approach to making sure that actor's out. Because until you do that, your network's not secure. You're investigating a moving, you know, moving train. And that's just, that's not helpful yeah. for your organization, you know, for your responders or really for your sleep schedule, because <laughs> you're just going to think they're out and they're going to come back on a Saturday afternoon, you know, move fast. Don't wait till Friday afternoon to call us um, or your response company. If you know you have an issue on a Tuesday, call your outside responder on Tuesday, yeah. not Friday at 445 Eastern time. Call as soon as you know and think you have a big issue. Sure. And engage as fast as you can. So obviously the timing of everything is important, but I'm sure there are adversaries that purposely launch their attacks during periods where they know there's going to be a, like a lull in like resources that are monitoring like yeah. services and applications. So holidays, I'm sure, is a big thing. How often do we see that where an adversary campaign may launch like during a major holiday or during a long weekend? Yeah, I mean, that's a unfortunate a situation where threat actors don't operate nine to five. Sure. Um, they know when people are not watching. Yep. It used to be when we do investigations into kind of Chinese nation uh, state of threats, any activity we would see on Thanksgiving, July 4th, Memorial Day, Christmas, mm. that just looked odd, probably was going to be attributed to that actor. They tended and, and still tend to do operate on government holidays, federal holidays in, in the United States because they know there's just less people watching. And the bad guys um, know this. Yeah. And they know this, yeah. you know, back when this really ransomware academic really started with riot ransomware, we would wake up on Monday morning to, you know, dozens of calls to our hotlines or emails from our partners saying, Hey, these organizations were hit over the weekend. They need your help. Yeah. And they tended to hit on Saturday and Sunday night, less people to respond less. And, and a lot of bad about speed. Like, you know, even if there are people to respond, they're going to move slower because there's typically less of them. Less, exactly. I feel like we should play a game where I'll say the lyric, like, he knows when you are sleeping, he knows when you're awake. And then I say, Christmas song or adversary tradecraft? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little of both. Yeah, a little of both. Okay. We'll come back to that game next episode. Okay. So you were talking about the actual program of involving legal when something bad happens and creating an escalation path. Like, who do you recommend also gets involved with this, right? We're talking about, you know, legal, you mentioned, you know, naturally the team responsible for the cybersecurity program. So I'm assuming the CISO, are we talking director level? Like, how far up the chain does that go? Does that hit the board, CEO? Like, explain that. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on the severity of the issue on sure. who is involved directly. Mm -hmm. And it, it really comes down to what you've put in your instant response plan and make sure that you one test that instant response plan and that it works and that you are bringing in the right people. Uh, what we see from organizations is it tends to be the smaller size organizations will call their insurance provider first. Yeah. They will call the breach line for their cybersecurity provider because they want to make sure that, you know, cost is is covered. Yep. Medium and large organizations tend to call their their lawyers either internal or external first when they think there is a major incident. But, you know, what we normally need to see to have an effective response is a partnership between everyone who needs to be there. That includes not just IT security, but I, your IT team, your business team. If you've been hit with a ransomware attack, what applications need to be brought up, you know, first to ensure the business can be, can be running the, the partner team. So if you're a B2B business and you have a ransomware attack, you need to make sure that you're involving the executives, your client facing executives who are responsible for those partnerships when it comes time to tell them 
that you've had a breach. And then board CEO involvement really depends, I think, on the, the severity of the breach and you know what they need to be informed of. Typically with the board, you're informing the board what is going on. You're sure. providing through the CISO or through the CEO and general counsel regular updates. Um, when I say regular, that does not mean multiple times a day. That means, you know, kind of as that, that regular cadence is typically maybe once a day, but typically a few times a week if it's a major incident. Major incident yeah. But if there is data theft and you're going to have a public notification of this, you need to involve your crisis communication team. Yeah. Uh, both internal and external communications. Because a lot of times the data that is stolen is internal employee information. So not only do you need to tell your customers that their data have, may have been stolen, you need to probably tell your employees because likely they're, gonna, they're going to target um, that data for data theft. And then outside counsel, I've talked about that a number of times. They're very important in, in a breach response, um, helping organizations understand you know, their legal exposure. Where our primary goal is to perform an investigation to inform their legal advice to a customer. That is what we're there for. And we work with, you know, other companies that we partner with to help with the IT recovery. Mm -hmm. So IR is not just your technical incident responders. It also needs to be your IT recovery partner, um, who's a, who are typically specialists in restoring things like Active Directory, and, um, SQL servers, and systems that have been encrypted with ransomware. But what about, you mentioned earlier, getting a call from TISA or the FBI, or I'll tell a quick story. Years ago, I re recall running a test with a prospective customer. They took our software, Falcon, they put it on a bunch of their servers, which at the time were there for processing credit card information. And long story short, within literally within a couple hours, we found that there were credit cards, you know, numbers flying out the door. And this test ultimately turned into an incident response. And... Within a day, I got a call from the Secret Service and they said, hey, we want to talk to you, Christian Rodriguez, about this specific <laughs> incident. And I said, uh, absolutely not. Like, you can talk to this customer and you can talk to their legal counsel. I have zero input, kind of cover my ears. Well, I don't know anything, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> you're not there, earmuffs. And so I was very curious, like, what's your what's your feedback on now, you know, three-letter letter agency law enforcement like officials getting also involved with these types of breaches, right? Because I know what happens where they want a feedback or, you know, they may want some additional details. And like, what, what does that look like? If you're a company that's going through this scenario, what type of involvement should you have or not have, right, with those agencies? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll start off with saying our relationships with law enforcement, CISA, DHS, you know, JCDC uh, are extremely important to operating as an effective team. We see kind of varying degrees of clients wanting to interact directly with those organizations. Sure. You know, we always encourage organizations to partner with law enforcement when they have a breach, uh, particularly around the sharing of indicators of compromise mm. that could help other victims, making sure that they're sharing information that could help, you know, law enforcement in their investigations, sure. timeframes, indicate, you know, IP addresses the threat actor was coming from very important to, to partnering, you know, with law enforcement. And then, you know, we rely a lot on both our intelligence team and their relationships with law enforcement and also our, our legal counsel, the legal counsels that we work with yeah. to make sure that, you know, if there isn't a customer who wants to engage closely with law enforcement, that we get in contact with the right, I'll use the FBI, for example, the right field office, you know, which one of those has agency over a particular threat actor and that we're able to share that information. I will say in the last five years, six years that I've been here at CrowdStrike, 
we've seen a much greater willingness okay. for the victims to, to partner with law enforcement and CISA and share information that is helpful for the greater good. So that has been a kind of drastic change. We've also seen, you know, kind of greater collaboration with law enforcement. Yeah. They're also much more willing to engage and work with our organizations. They're being very proactive about providing notifications to both victims that they may have come across in other investigations, but also partnering with uh, the private sector and, and sharing information back and forth so that we can ensure our customers may be, may, are, are protected against new things that they are seeing from the lens that they have. All of us have a different lens on you know, the threat actor ecosystem. Sure. Um, all of that visibility is important to put together to understand the, you know, who these actors are, who they're targeting, and ultimately, how does we disrupt them? Yeah. You know, that is, you know, ultimately the goal of both, you know, CrowdStrike, other industry partners, law enforcement, um, the likes of CISA is how do we disrupt these actors so they cause, especially our ransomware actors, cause less harm to organizations. To organizations. And, you know, I, I had a point in, uh, I'm specifically in, in many industry working groups on, on ransomware and we were on one last uh, couple of weeks ago and. You know, the, the biggest point was, you know, BCs are a big problem. Mm -hmm. Business email compromise. Yeah. They are a huge problem. There's a lot of monetary loss in a BEC. But when, you know, someone misdirects a wire transfer, kids still go to school the next day. Mm -hmm. You're still able to pay your taxes. You're still able to perform a real estate transaction. You know, businesses are still able to operate. In a ransomware attack, uh, we've seen many times where children can't go to school the next day. Yeah. Colleges and universities are closed. Or hospitals you are can't shut down. Right? Yeah. Hospitals are shut down. Yeah. You can't close on your house. You're, you're a first-time home buyer and you're very excited about buying a house, but you can't close on your house because the local county real estate assessor's office is down for ransomware. Mm. We are unable to call 911. All of those things are real life, have real-life impacts to people. And that is why... You know, I think it's kind of the whole of, you know, government, the whole of industry approach to going after these actors is extremely um, important. And that's why, you know, I'm glad and, and proud we partner with the likes of JCDC and other organizations um, and sharing information about ransomware and, you know, really, how do we stop these actors? Because it, frankly, in this file, it sucks. You know, sure. these actors, these actors are making millions and billions of dollars but more importantly, they're disrupting the everyday lives of people all over the world. Sure. And they're causing harm. Surgeries are getting delayed. Yeah. You know, imagine that you've waited six months to get a surgery. And, you know, the night before you go in, you're told, nope, we're going to have to delay it because our systems are down due to a ransomware attack. And the ripple effect is, is very significant, right? So to your point, it's very important to disrupt these adversaries as much as possible because you're right. The, the, these campaigns have significant impact to everyday life for, for civilians. So very interesting. I, I love the perspective, right? That the ripple effect can just impact so many things that you can often take for granted, like closing on a house, right? Or, yeah. or waiting for some some type of paperwork to come through. So that's that's very interesting perspective. James, I'm going to ask you, I don't know if you could do this or not, right? And so we'll see if this could happen. But is there any way you can you can walk us through a real scenario as as sanitized as possible, right? From the point of you getting involved to like something, some some type of tradecraft that really stood out to you of either that underscores the concept of innovation, even from the, the, the adversary perspective, right? And what that impact was for the respective victim. Every day we get a call to our hotline. You go to crowdstrike.com slash experience to breach. There's phone numbers on there. 
victims call that line and say, my company is under ransom attack. Mm. We have a way to quickly jump on a call with them. You know, experts from my team who scope dozens of, of incident response investigations a week get on with the customer and one, reassure them that one, we're here to help. Two, get an understanding of where they are in terms of their incident response. Sure. And unfortunately, many times they're at a point of they can't do anything. Their entire environment is down. You know, their administrators are locked out. Mm. And that's where, you know, we jump there in very quickly. Uh, one thing that helps you jump in, us jump in much faster is if you have an IR retainer uh, with CrowdStrike, um, you get guaranteed response times from our team and you get pre-negotiated contracts. Yeah. The biggest delay in every instant response is contracts. Interesting. You would be amazed. You would be amazed that, you know, an organization is under attack by ransomware actors and people want to spend hours reviewing and redlining a contract. Oh, wow. Yes. You have to do that. But sometimes the, it, you know, when you're under the middle of attack, it's not the right time. But yes, if you have an IR retainer, you've already done all that work. You just have to call our line and we can jump in. That's like saying, hey, my house is on fire right now, but I don't want you to throw any water on it until you can guarantee yep. me that you can save my LG flat screen TV that's in the back of the house. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, one thing that we've done as an organization at, at CrowdStrike is we have pre-negotiated terms with many of the premier uh, breach councils out there, um, outside council. So, you know, if you're coming and bringing us in and you're bringing outside council with you, um, you know, we've already gone through that, that work with those organizations. Um, so you can contract with us very quickly. It sounds strange that you need to, you need to contract with an organization to perform incident response, you know, as you're having an incident, but there's a lot of reasons why, and I won't necessarily get into them here, but sure. those are the things that matter nine months, you know, two years from now when potentially have litigation about data that was stolen. But, you know, we're able to operate extremely fast. You call our hotline, you have a retainer, you're not a current existing CrowdStrike endpoint customer. We're talking a matter of minutes to hours to get access to our technology and start deploying it into your environment. Oh, well. We have done, you know, we have done deployments in the hundreds of thousands of endpoint ranges over a weekend, you know, and so that way we can get our visibility, but more importantly, detection and containment of the, of the actors. We do that in hours. It's amazing to, to see my team, you know, jump into one of these cases and, you know, stay up all night and, you know, pass, pass handovers over to our teams and, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast to Asia Pacific, back to our teams in Europe and the UK, and then back to the East Coast um, to help an organization get the technology out there that you need to actually detect and prevent the actor from doing more harm. Yeah. And that's a matter, a matter of hours. And, you know, we're providing that investigation support almost immediately. We deploy, you know, customers ask us this, like we had potential data theft. We need to know as soon as possible, you know, what data may have been taken. Yeah. We can deploy our forensic triage tools immediately after we deploy Falcon using Falcon. So we're gathering that investigation data almost immediately. Yeah. So we can help provide answers, say, you know, what is the impact to your organization? And that's really the kind of the end of the, what gets crazy with an IR. Yeah. Once we had that visibility into both your endpoints and your identities, we're able to quickly contain something and at least monitor if the actor tries to come back. And that's where we start kind of digging into the, how did they get in? Yeah. Oh, they came in through this VPN that doesn't have two-factor on it. All right, well, let's, let's either turn two-factor onto that, that VPN or shut it down for now because you're under attack or, you know, reset everyone's password in your environment. 
It typically it's, you know, let's put two factor on as fast as possible. And we have partners that are able to do that. You know, let's start putting two factor, ensuring that you have two factor on all your cloud accounts. You know, one of the things that we give every client who comes into an organization and I, you won't be able to see this on the podcast. We have these things called click response guides. So you come in and you're having a ransomware attack. We're going to give you a guide that says, here's your responsibilities. Here's our responsibilities. Here's how we partner together on this engagement to make sure that the actor is stopped. Here's the top 10 things you have to do. Put more security on your AWS infrastructure or your Azure infrastructure that you may or may not have already. Here's what you need to do if it's you know an actor we know that uses ESXi ransomware. Yeah. Um, here's kind of the best practice recommendations um, recommended by by those organizations, those companies. Here's our recommendations. Make sure you're doing these things. Yes, it may hurt business right now, but breaking parts of your business to prevent an overarching ransomware attack is something you have to do. Yeah, exactly. It's a necessity. It's a necessity, and you yeah. have to make sure you have the people who can make that call. Yeah. I'll tell a story of a combination of IRs. I was brought into uh, on an IR helping cover on a weekend at an organization and uh, we quickly got Falcon out there. They were a new customer. They didn't have Falcon in their environment until we deployed it. And, you know, we're on a call with the customer and, you know, we're actively monitoring Falcon and we see that the actor is starting to stage ransomware on their domain controllers to push out to the environment. And, you know, the customer is talking about how they're going to lock down some certain things and there's no decision maker on the call. We're saying, hey, you probably want to cut off your access to the internet. You know, we've been in this for a few hours. The actor's still here. They're getting ready to play ransomware. They didn't have the right decision maker on the call. Uh-huh. And finally, the, the gentleman on the call made the decision to shut it down. And so we started using Falcon to contain domain controllers. And this was in the middle of the night on a weekend. And, you know, we saved that environment. Um, instead of thousands of systems being encrypted, the actor got very few before we were able to contain and help that company rebuild. And that's one of those, those scenarios where practicing with the tabletop of who the decision makers are and who can make the decisions is very important. Oh, wow. And sometimes yeah. you have minutes to act. And if you don't have visibility in your environment, unfortunately, one of the things you have to do to respond to these ransomware attacks is just shutting everything off. Yeah. Going to your core network router and Pulling the plug as well, yeah. And who can make that decision from both a business and from a you know technology perspective? Who even knows how to break glass and turn that off? Yeah, it's a great question. What accounts do you use for that? I like that. Who knows how to even break glass here? And by the way, for the listeners that heard some paper in the background, uh, James was actually highlighting a playbook that was covered in a twenty-four karat gold leaflet, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very powerful, powerful document. We push some of these documents out publicly. Sometimes they're available to our customers. We call them quick response guides. Yeah. It's basically a, a step between, a, you know, an email and a desk reference. Like, what are what do I need to do right now if I'm having a breach? How do I work with CrowdStrike? How do I work with outside counsel? How do I respond to particular ransomware actors? We have we have guides for for many of those things, and they're they're very useful for you know new customers who come in and say who've never had an incident before. It's sort of our answer to this is our everyday. Yeah. Let's write it down and give it to those customers and those victims who it's their worst day. And they don't really know. They haven't been through this before. Exactly. It helps in, in all those situations. So James, what would you give our listeners if you had one piece of advice, right? They've hung in for this episode. What's the one piece of advice you can give them with everything that you've experienced in your career? Visibility is key to cybersecurity. Understanding you know, what's happening on your endpoint, what's happening with your identities, what's happening with your assets like what systems are in your environment. From a technical perspective, visibility is king. It's what allows you to actually respond to something. 
that'd be my one key takeaway from that perspective. And I'll give you one more. Yeah, let's hear um, it. Let's from, hear it. From, <laughs> from, from a strategic perspective. Sure. Make sure you know who is in charge during an IR mm-hmm. and make sure that those people, uh, the group of folks who are responding to an incident know each other before there is a problem. Mm. Number one way to do that is a tabletop. Second best way to do that is, you know, lock them all in an escape room and you know, make them get out. <laughs> Responses where the team responsible for responding to the whole scope of an incident who know each other go a thousand times better than when you sit in a room and people, and they don't know who each other are. That is the biggest impediment to an effective incident response is not practicing prior to it. Yeah. Which goes back to that office, you know. that office episode, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> exactly. you, you can, you know, and and I I don't know who said this first. Um, you know, I've heard it a couple of times, but I'll I'll say it here again. You can over plan for an IR. You cannot over practice. Mm. Don't focus on generating hundreds of pages of instant response plans. Focus on roles, responsibilities, and practicing those roles and responsibilities. A hundred page IR plan does nothing. Yeah. A 10-page, well-practiced, well-rehearsed IR plan can be the difference between a ransomed environment and an unransomed environment. Well, that's powerful. You just sat through a religious experience with James Perry and Christian (laughs) Rodriguez on the Adversary Universe podcast. Now, uh, on a serious note, James, thank you so much. This is a fantastic episode, quite frankly. I think it's really great content. And so again, I really want to thank you for jumping into this episode on uh, the question, have I been breached and, you know, the ways to get your arms around, you know, dealing with an incident. James and I, we've been here for quite some time at CrowdStrike. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of everything. And again, really want to express my gratitude for sharing some really great stories and some feedback for our listeners. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast.